You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season, whether I was out west during my elk hunt, South Dakota mule deer hunt, or my rut vacation in Iowa, I was on my phone using Onyx Maps every part of the day, whether I was looking at terrain features uh, on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their uh, their app, or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands, or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location. I used Onyx Maps every single day, and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map and uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before I had to wait till sun up and then and then you know find it that way but that problem does not exist anymore because of Onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that I think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So onyxmaps.com. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I am your host. This episode, like all episodes, are brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today is a straight-up BS session. Uh, I don't do these as much anymore. I need to uh, because sometimes I just need to not talk about deer hunting, if that makes sense. I talk about it so much, and and uh, I know this is a, a hunting, bow hunting, deer hunting 
ish podcast. We talk a lot about all things that revolve around uh, bow hunting and deer hunting and whatnot. But <laughs> but today's just a great old fashioned BS session. I am joined today by Billy Eisenman. Uh, he actually reached out to me with a cool story about the buck that he shot this year. And uh, I kind of flipped the script on him without him knowing. So I just want to thank him for being a good sport on this podcast and uh, just BSing with me for about an hour. And uh, that's what this podcast is. It's a good old-fashioned BS session. So stick it out. Listen all the way to the end. And it's just a, a great episode. Uh, I got to do a quick commercial before we get into this episode today. It's Wasp Broadheads. Now, this year I actually, I know I've talked a lot about the, the fixed blade, uh, Boss 4 blade that I've been using over the last several years. And due to some unforeseen circumstances, I ended up shooting my buck this year with Old Reliable, the jackhammer. That's a buck that, or a broadhead that I have used for I don't even know how many years before I switched to fixed blades. Uh, I used a jackhammer to kill, man, several, several deer. And uh, it did the trick, especially on this buck. Great blood trail. Smashed him. Liver-lung combo. Lots of destruction. Uh, and, uh, you know, you put a, a, a broadhead, a, you know, a wasp broadhead in an animal in its lungs, in its liver, it's going to create some damage, and that's exactly what it did. And uh, the blood trail was short, and the drag out was heavy, and that's a win if you ask me. So if you want to find out more information about Wasp, go to wasparchery.com. And when you decide to purchase from them online, enter the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and you're going to receive 20% off of your purchase. That's a pretty good deal if you ask me. So 9FINGERS, that's the discount code, wasparchery.com. They got fixed blades. They got mechanicals. Go check them out. Awesome American company, and uh, I think you'll like them. So uh, short intro. Make sure you're <laughs> – just as I say short intro, I start talking again. But anyway, uh, follow us on social. Follow the Sportsman's Nation. Follow Nine Finger Chronicles, Instagram, Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. All you have to do is type in the word Nine finger chronicles on itunes or wherever you download your podcast and uh, subscribe and that way it comes directly to you the nine finger chronicles comes directly to you every time i drop a new episode this week i dropped three i was feeling a little frisky uh not sure what next week will bring with the ata show but uh happy friday everybody let's get into today's podcast all right on the phone with me right now mr billy eisenman what's up man What's going on, Dan? Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, I, uh, listen, listen to you all the time on the way to work, and uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, cool, dude. Uh, and the reason you're on is you sent me a Instagram message with the buck that you killed this year, and it's a gorgeous looking deer. The just by the pictures alone, the coat on that thing looks perfect. Was it a per? The, oh the, yeah, gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. He uh, he was. Super orange still because it was like October twelfth, so yeah, super orange, um, real nice, not all beat up, and uh, yeah, just beautiful, beautiful deer. Gotcha. 
And we're going to, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, I, I just wanted to do something a little bit different on this podcast because I feel like we, we, when you get into a routine, uh, it's nice to step out of that and just uh, get a little crazy. And uh, I do want to talk about your buck, but I also want to talk about 2019. I want to talk about 2020 and, uh, and just life and stuff like that. So uh, like we always do, you know, of course, my first question is getting back into a routine question. And that is, where do you, (laughs) where do you live and what do you do for a living? Yeah, so I live in Defiance, Ohio. Uh, recently moved there about a year and a half ago. Um, about uh, We lived about an hour east of that prior to that. My wife grew up in Defiance, and that's how we ended up back there. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner. I work in a family practice office, um, seeing patients from, you know, six months of age to, you know, 99 years old or however. Um, manage disease processes from diabetes, blood pressure, hypertension, uh, asthma. I mean, pretty much anything family medicine handles. Yeah. So I need some advice then. If you're, if you're in the medical field, <laughs> I have a lot of stress from being married and having kids. Is there a medication yeah. other than alcohol that I should be taking? Um, more birth control. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that is a good one <laughs> here's a funny story so uh my neighbor across the street right uh last it's been over a year now they had three they they had their third kid and it was a girl but when they found out it was going to be a girl the, the the husband was just like i'm happy it's healthy but damn i wanted a boy but but i'm done <laughs> we're done we're done well, the other day, the wife uh, comes into the house because uh, their daughter was over playing with my daughter. And she said, well, we're pregnant again. And I didn't even, like, I just started laughing uh, because, <laughs> like, like, just imagine the depression and like, the, the, oh my gosh. I don't know if it wasn't, I mean, it was an accident. They didn't plan it. But at the same time, um, the husband, just like, I could just imagine him if they have a fourth girl that. I think he just might just go straight into the bottle and never come out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I love listening to you and Mark jabber on about your guys' kids. And uh, just I just freaking crack up laughing every time I'm on my way to work. Listening to you guys and your stories, it, it actually is a birth control for me because my <laughs> wife and I don't have any kids. So I'm just like, I don't really think I want to deal with that. <laughs> how, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 32. Okay, 32 years old. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you guys thinking about having kids, or is this something um, that is just, you know what, I think we're going to do without them? You know, we're we're really into, like, she's into triathlons and, and all that kind of stuff. She she gets into that pretty hardcore from spring to, you know, early fall. And obviously I love to hunt, and we travel. We go usually vacations every three months usually and i don't know we just kind of were like well if we don't want kids but i mean if it happens it happens but yeah we're not really planning right. to have any I right that's a short long answer hey man it it is for some people it is not for some people um there's days where i don't think it's for me but then again i'm <laughs> i got one leg in the trap so i uh <laughs> i i gotta do what i gotta do um so ohio Right. Um, have you, yeah. have you been there your whole life? 
Yep, I grew up in a small town, uh, actually called Rising Sun, Ohio. Um, I grew up in the country. Uh, my grandpa and uncle farm. I actually started working at, with my uncle's company doing excavating, um, basically from the time I could drive a equipment from 12, 13 years old till so I was even working as a registered nurse, and I would still work with them like on the weekends and stuff like that, or my days off, and we'd put in leach tile or septic tanks and just anything excavating related, poured concrete, did all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I grew up out in you know out in the country, and um, I didn't really get into bow hunting a whole lot until my mid twenties, though. I uh, I hunted some small game and stuff when I was a little kid and you know growing up like that and I did some trapping for muskrats and raccoons but the the whole deer hunting bow hunting thing I never really got the bug until I was in my mid-20s yeah so kind of backing up and and saying about the the small game and trapping was that something that your father introduced to you or somebody else Uh, well yes um, so my dad wasn't, he kind of grew up in the city, not really into like the outdoors kind of thing, but we have, you know, I grew up right next to uh, a decent sized uh, ditch and, you know, my grandpa and uncle were always saying, oh, you should catch the muskrats. So my dad helped me get into it. We went and bought, you know, the live or the box traps that you put under the water and uh, we put them in culverts and found, you know, ditch runs and put them in there and. Uh, I did that for a few years, and that's actually how I bought my first uh, gun. It was a Marlin 22. I actually um, still have that gun. And then I bought a TV for myself with the money that I made trapping. So I did that for a few years. Um, and how old were you? Actually pretty... I'm 32. No, but how old were you uh, when you were doing the trapping? Oh, uh, yeah, so I was 12. 12. Um, mm-hmm. And your dad yep. kind of so got... I've helped you through like learning how to trap for muskrats and stuff or did you have to like teach yourself well i mean he went out with me you know making sure that i wasn't gonna like hurt myself or whatever but yeah yeah, i pretty much just kind of taught myself i uh my uncle and grandpa kind of told me maybe you know a little bit of what to do and other than that it was kind of trial by fire and just going out and doing it yeah and uh it was fun uh i caught one day, I think I caught like six or seven muskrats in one trap, um, a, a, you know, a box trap. So it was stuffed to the brim, and that was a great day. <laughs> yeah. I can remember when I was a kid, um, and I tell this story every once in a while, but my uncle, he uh, went to college. And when I was real young and my mom and dad would go off to work, they would drop me off at me and my brother off at the farm. And my grandma and grandpa were basically our babysitters. And what I mean by that is they were still running in a farming operation and we just went wherever they went. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, whether it was to the sale barn or, you know, in the tractor plant planting or in the combine harvesting, we were we were their shadow. Uh, and when my uncle went to college, I remember one day he went and set up some traps 
and the next day he couldn't check them so he called his he called my grandma and said hey i need you to check my traps because i can't make it back in time and so here is my grandma in hip waders with me basically on her hip my brother she just left in the car in the truck and we went out and checked traps and um, we did this a couple times and you know she would get in there and and set the traps and she would uh, uh, you know reset them and, and if there was one still alive I was in charge. I had the beaten bat. <laughs> so if there, was, yeah. if there was one still alive, it's like, Daniel, hit that, hit that animal, hit that muskrat or, or coon or whatever. So I'm here. I am like seven years old, just beating the shit out of these poor animals that are stuck in the trap. <laughs> you know, like, I, and, and I didn't know, you know, you don't know any better at that age. You're just like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. Boom, boom, boom. You know, take them out. And then my uncle would you know, we'd throw them in the barn and then my uncle would come back and, and skin them out later. But okay. <laughs> that was, that was one of my very first ever outdoor experiences. And when I said like outdoors, as far as, you know, game, like hunting and fishing and stuff yeah. like that. Um, did you come from a fishing family at all? You know, no, actually, you know, my uncles and grandpa, they, I mean, if, they farmed but none of them really hunted my dad i mean he was big into sports and racing but no nobody ever really was into outdoors or hunting or fishing it was just kind of i lived in the area and just kind of you know did the trapping thing and i'd you know go out in the woods with my 22 after i got it and you know it shoot squirrels and rabbits and stuff like that but yeah. And nothing, you know, very organized, I guess I should say. Yeah. That was kind of my first experience. Uh, I had, I got a BB gun, uh, and I ended up, uh, I, I was watching back to the future when that came out. And do you remember in, <laughs> in, uh, back to the future where I think, I don't even know if it was back to the future, or back to the future Two, where they shoot on the ground and the bad guys telling them to dance yeah yeah he's yep. like dance boy and so <laughs> i got in so much trouble i i was telling my brother to dance and i was shooting at the ground <laughs> at his feet well one bounced off a rock and it lodged a bb lodged in his under his skin by his ribs and oh, uh wow i got my ass beat for that but it wasn't <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like four months later my grandpa handed me a sing an old single shot 22 in a box full of shells and he just said go outside and play and so i just violated the the like the biggest rule of gun you know being responsible for a gun and that is don't point it at people and then my grandpa mm -hmm. my, then my grandpa hands me a, a single shot 22 and expects me to behave with it. And I think the only thing he said, he goes, don't point this at your brother. You're going to kill him. And I said, okay, <laughs> I grabbed it. And then me and my brother <laughs> went out and, you know, shot birds and shot, you know, rabbits and squirrels and whatever else was on the farm that wasn't, you know, livestock. So did you, when you, when you got your first gun, did like an adult say, Hey, this is a big responsibility. Well, you know, I, when I, as an adult or as a kid, when I bought that as a kid, yeah, as a kid, but did you have an adult uh, like walk you through? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, my mom and dad kind of sat me down and was like, Hey, this isn't a toy. Uh, you know, and they even bought, 
a trigger safety for, you know, a trigger lock for it. And, uh, you know, I'd have to ask permission to get it out. And, you know, <clears throat> and then once I would, you know, that was kind of why I bought it was because I was trapping. And, you know, if the animal was still alive, I could shoot it in the head, and, you yep. know, put it out of its misery. You know, that was pretty much the reason that I bought it to begin with. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I never, I actually didn't take a hunter safety course until, um, you know, I was in my mid twenties. I just did like, I don't know if I even technically had a license as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you the truth. Now that I look back on it. Yeah. Prob- you know, I didn't have probably a not. license or anything. No, I don't think I did. I think it was the late eighties. So if any game wardens are listening, you know, hopefully so- <laughs> I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think they could like, I don't think they can get you for stuff like that. You know, if you admit to not having a license when you were 12 or, you know, yeah. 10 or 12 or 14 or whatever, and then having to get, go back 15 years to, you know, <laughs> all right, you're in trouble. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what they would take because, you know, all those furs and stuff, and like I kept any of them. Right, right. Uh, I can, uh, I can remember, you know, trapping and then, you know, going on these trapping lines with my uncle and he, he would go on some of these trap lines that were, it took almost all day to check, right? You're getting up in the morning. Wow. Uh, and he was running d- miles and miles and miles of traps. And I can remember him coming back with a, a pickup truck full of coon and, you know, possum. And um, he even had a couple beaver traps out, muskrats, all that stuff in the back of his truck. And then he would go and skin them out. Um, at the max, how big was your trap line when you were, uh, I guess, in your in your oh. peak trap stage? Uh, not very big. I mean, yeah. it was basically the creek in the next to my house my parents house and then parallel with the house and then another like smaller creek like a couple miles away um but i mean it was just you know six seven condor bears and then probably a dozen box traps and that was about it you know it was pretty small i just my grandpa and uncle were just happy to get the muskrats out of the ditch <laughs> yeah so there was, so, it was something it was just fun, for fun it was a fun thing to do yeah it was it was just for fun i made a little bit of money and then the nice thing is is i had a guy in the little, little town i grew up in that he would buy the animals whole so i could just you know i'd catch you know a dozen of them and, or a couple at a time and freeze them in the freezer and then you know when i got you know a handful of them i could take them there and he'd he'd give me you know, a couple bucks less than what he would if it was you know skinned and stretched and all that so right right it worked out it worked out pretty good so where does trapping kind of lay in the i guess the timeline and did did that did trapping at an early age get you more interested in other things like hey i want to try fishing or i want to try pheasant hunting or i want to try deer hunting you know, Dan, it, I would like to say, yeah, it did, but I he turned into a teenager who loves sports, and yep. that's kind of what took over, yeah. and, you know, sports and girls, and, and uh, you know, yeah, I didn't really get back into anything really outdoors, I mean, until my mid-early 20s. Yeah. Kind of did the whole sports in high school, and, you know, pretty serious in it, and you know, and girls and partying came along, and then it was like, I had a good buddy of mine from high school. He's like, "Hey, let's go out shotgun hunting for deer." I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds fun." You know, I'll go out and we went out and chasing deer around, and you know, shot at some, but it was fun. And then the next year, he's like, "Oh, you should get a crossbow." 
So that was that would have been I was 25 when I got my my first you know archery equipment, which was crossbow, and the, like I think probably the fourth or fifth sit in that season, early mid October. I shot a little basket eight, and I'm telling you, man, I was hooked like a kid losing his virginity after that. <laughs> Similar to sex. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it was just like nonstop, just anything deer hunting I could consume, I did. And it was, I mean, it's changed my life. I mean, I, I still love sports, and my dad and I actually have season tickets to the Cleveland Browns, and unfortunately, we, we're a uh, factory of sadness there. But, uh, but yeah, we still go watch them, and I do like sports, but it's definitely taken a backseat to the outdoors and the hunting, for sure. Yeah, I think it was right around 25, uh, 26, you know, obviously 2006 is when I jumped into it big time, but something happened in my mid-20s where I didn't give a shit about football anymore, I didn't give a shit about, you know... I still, I still partied and I still chase girls, but you know, you can chase girls after you get out of the timber and you can go party after you get out of the timber at night. And it was, it was just a complete takeover. It was a cannonball. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like since 2006, I've lost a step or skipped a beat when it comes to the excitement for an upcoming season since you shot that first deer with that crossbow and you were gun ho did you do you feel like you've been in it the whole time or has there been any lulls in that uh in in the last 10 years that have led you to be like oh well maybe i'll hang it up this season oh no no every year i mean it's just you know it's like that gambling addiction man it was like couldn't wait till the next season came around you know reading magazines, watching the outdoor channel. I mean, anything I could do to, you know, involve my life in deer hunting, that was, that was what I was doing. Right. So, you know, let's see, 25, let's see, what year was that? Uh, 2012, I think. 2012. Okay. So 2012, Mm -hmm. the internet, you know, the internet was out, um, a lot of information online where where were you getting your what was your resource as far as learning how to hunt was it just learning through experiences you know buddies telling you what to do or were you in the still in the magazines and and blogs and stuff like that uh well it was it was my buddy that got me into he's my best man and my wedding and he got me into it and um I kind of went with, you know, by some of the stuff he would say. And and then I had the outdoor channel, which is, in my opinion, one of the worst ways to try to learn hunting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, that was what I was basing all my hunting on is, you know, planting food plots and, like, thinking I'm going to harvest a 200-inch deer every year. And, and unfortunately, that's just not reality. And it took me, <clears throat> honestly, it took me up until the last season to finally, like, changed the way I hunt and changed the way that I like approach deer season. And it, and it definitely last year I didn't, I, I had tag soup, but you know, that happens, but I, I learned a lot and you know, it actually, you know, progressed into this season and I, you know, shot my biggest buck and I think it's just going to change the way I hunt for the rest of the rest of my life. Yeah. So 
I want to talk about that because I, I think that when someone starts getting serious about hunting, they look for entertainment as education to help them on the you know help them with their their own personal strategy and i think that's a huge disservice to the person who's consuming that content because they're they have to learn just like you did right that yep i don't yep. have a thousand acres i don't have you know to to plant food plots i don't have the same kind of environment so what was what was your learning curve like what was your what was your learning path like from 25 till now well you know previously you know i would in ohio we could bait so you know i thought well i'm gonna bait i'm gonna get you know all these big bucks you know in the area and i'm gonna set a tree stand up and hunt over it and so i did that for a while you know i was checking cameras just i feel like non-stop kind of not playing the wind like i you know, like I should have been, like I was still conscious of it, but I was like, oh, I got scent lock stuff. I'm, I'm fine. You know, just kind of willy nilly all over the woods and, and I definitely just kind of hunting the typical field edges and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it just, obviously I shot some bucks and shot some deer, but it just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't the mature deer that I knew was around, but I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Right. So you were getting trail camera pictures of animals or seeing them, but just oh, never uh, having encounters with them. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking deer that, you know, on my grandpa's little 20 acres that I would hunt. And he had some other properties kind of around, but this main 20 acres was like a big thicket that was butted up against probably another total of like 80 to a hundred acres of timber thicket. And, and, you know, that typical summer, thing i would get man i'm talking 160s 170 bucks you know consistently and during the summer and then all of a sudden you know they shed their velvet and they're gone and it's just like what the heck do i do now but i would still you know sit over the feeders hunt and it just it just didn't pay off yeah so did you have a moment then in the last however many years since you were 25 that's just like because you mentioned you didn't really change the way you hunted until uh, recently in the last couple of years. Did you have any moments? And I and the reason I'm asking this question is because I did the same thing for several years where I would know what I needed to do, like move a tree stand or take a different access route, but I just never did it. I would think about it, but just never did it. Did you have kind of an awakening as far as strategy was concerned or did you find yourself making the same mistakes over and over and over again well i mean for the first yeah five four or five years it was just like hunting the same as field edges you know over hunting stands just consistently just doing things that you know i shouldn't have even killed a deer most of the time but i you know get lucky or whatever and then it was, I think it was, let's see, 2016, 2017, where I was hunting that thicket property I was talking about. And on that thicket property, um, I built a uh, big box blind that would, you know, I could sit in and, you know, hunt over 
the corn and I had a little food plot and all that stuff. So, you know, I thought that was easy. me. And when I put it up, I thought, man, I'm going to shoot so many big bucks out of this thing. And, <laughs> and rut would come along and I ain't kidding you. I would sit in that thing and watch bucks after bucks cruise the tree line where the, the hard timber came into this thicket I was sitting in. And it was still my grandpa's property, but I would sit there day after day watching bucks cruise this line, and I would not get out of my stand in my hut to go hunt it. And I don't know what it was. One year, I think it was, I think it was two or three years ago. I finally set up a stand. I took a climber in. I set up a stand, and I watched how like 110, 120 inch eight pointer walk past at like five yards on this trail, and I'm just like finally like it's it, this is where it's at and i let him walk eventually but i ended up shooting him i think later that, that year during gun season which you know is kind of mute point at this at this time but so i finally moved and i had some action and then after that it was when i like things kind of finally clicked where it was just like all right you gotta hunt where the deer are and not expect the deer to come to you yeah that's a hard realization uh, oh, it's, it, I mean, it was just like, you know, it's trying to change everything you, you thought you knew, yeah. you know, and doing something completely different. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's what a lot of people don't get is it is as, it is as simple as, as going to the deer and not having the deer come to you. And I think, and and I, I mentioned this on another podcast a while back. I think there's two types of hunters. There's the go and get them hunters, you know, the, the mobile hunters, the guys who are hunting fresh sign, the guys who are, um, you know, maybe running gunning, uh, whether it's private or public or however you want to define yourself. And then there's the wait for them crew. And those are the guys who I feel have, at, have the ability to manipulate uh, terrain and plant food plots and do hinge cutting and have access to farms that they can manage properly. And then, then they sit over food plots and box blinds and, you know, have mm-hmm. a, a little bit different strategy, not saying one way is, is good or bad, but for a guy who has only 20 acres of access, it, I feel like, you know, using your example there, it's unrealistic. yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So you, you, you moved, did that spur something for you? Like, holy shit, I should have been doing this five years ago. Yeah. And and the thing that really triggered me is I think, I don't know if it came from like listening to you or Mark talk about like, um, how it wasn't, it was getting to the point where it wasn't fun because you were just pressuring yourself trying to shoot a big beer. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I was getting these pictures of these big bucks on camera at nighttime, and I'm just like, what's going on? And, you know, it wasn't fun. And I actually just switched everything up last year completely. I quit running cameras altogether. I said, you know what? If a buck comes up and he gets me pump, my heart pumping, I'm shooting him. Like, yeah. I don't care if there's a 180 in the area. If he's 120 inch and I'm excited and he gets me going, I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. So... I completely changed the strategy as far as like cameras. Um, and then I started not hunting stands over and over again. That was a big thing for me. And, uh, I started getting a little mobile. I, I have a lone wolf, uh, climber that I use, um, which it's good and bad. Good. Cause it, 
you know, gets me mobile bad because you need that, you know, you need that straight tree to get up and, you know, you're hunting those, those hedge lines or those, um, creek crossings and stuff. And sometimes you just don't get the, the straight tree you need. So, but that's really, that really changed my attitude and everything. And then, you know, between that, doing that kind of stuff. And also I was absorbing myself. It was different material. You know, I was, I was the guy who's reading the outdoor magazine and you know, how to kill a big buck in the rut or I was watching the outdoor channel and I really switched my material to your podcast, Mark's podcast. I was watching the hunting public and it just completely changed the way I hunted and yeah. it obviously paid off. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you had 20, you know, you were hunting 20 acres. How many total acres or farms did you have access to or do you have access to? Uh, uh, now I have, so I, the, where I live now in Defiance, which is about an hour from where I grew up from my grandpa's property, I have access, we have 10 acres on our, on our property with a creek bottom right next, right next to us. And then I have permission to the west, which is 52 acres that butts up to my property. And then I have permission behind my house, which is the creek bottom, which is about um, another 80 acres there. So like 120 acres around my house. And then I still have my grandpa's species uh, over where I grew up, um, which between the 20 acres and then he had um, a couple other smaller woods. I probably had another 40 acres total. Um, so, you know, not, not a big chunk of timber by any means. And uh, it was all kind of split up. And the only decent thing that was next to my house where I shot my buck at this year was it's a real nice uh, creek bottom. It's got some heavy cover in different areas. Um, and then there's a there's a bigger river about a quarter mile to the west of that. So, I mean, definitely in areas where, you know, big bucks and a lot of deer can, you know, stay and hold and, and uh, you know, get it mature. Awesome. So... What was, uh, other than, you know, making that move and kind of realizing, oh my God, I should have been doing this five years ago. You know, you've, you've become a little bit more mobile. You've quit watching tree, uh, trail cameras altogether. Um, has there been any other big changes in, let's say like equipment or strategy that, uh, has that you felt um, was a direct reason why you harvested your buck this year? I would say two things. Uh, first, archery. Um, so I was the guy that would pull out my bow August, and I would shoot it a couple times uh, a week right before the season started. And, uh, and I, I had a typical finger trigger release. And this year, which I think I always had it, but this year I really – really noticed it was target panic i mean i'm talking 20 yards i couldn't even hit the target yeah and a good buddy of mine who's really big into archery he's like you need to switch to a hinge release to get rid of that target panic so he let me borrow one and i mean i was starting basic as basic can be i was basically standing three yards from the target with my eyes closed just working on my form and eventually i ended up buying my own uh, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but, uh, yeah, so that's what I switched to. I actually hunted with that, um, a hinge release. Um, and I'll tell you what, 
that target panic is gone yeah completely and yeah. that made a huge difference and then uh, as far as strategy and the hunting goes um I quit waiting on the deer to come to me and I would look for the hottest sign and set up over it. That was, that's, I mean, it's not rocket science. I don't know how more blatant people can be as far as just hunt the sign. I mean, there's no, there's no magic pill or there's no magic, uh, formulary. It's, you know, you got to hunt where the deer are (laughs) and there's, there's no, there's no other way around it. Yeah, that's the truth. So backing up a little bit, when did you put down the crossbow and pick up the bow, the compound? Uh, so I shot my first buck in 2012 with crossbow. 2013, I bought a newer crossbow thinking, oh, I got to have a better crossbow. <laughs> you know, everybody you know, thinks their, their, their equipment's going to make them better. So actually 2013, I didn't even punch a tag. And then 20. 20- 14 was when I bought a cross. I bought a compound. I bought it from a buddy of mine, uh, used, and that's actually still the bow I have today. Um, and I actually, it was funny. I look back on it, and I don't know how the heck I shot my first deer with it because it wasn't even the the peep sight wasn't even lined up correctly. My draw length was, you know, too long. <laughs> but you know, I shot a few deer with it, and you know, the, the last year was when I was like got it tuned myself, got the right draw length. And then this year was when I really, really took it seriously and switched to the hinge release and like really focused on, you know, shooting well. Yeah. So why did you decide to go to a bow from a a crossbow knowing that it was going to be a little bit more difficult? Um, you know, I think one was, I just wanted the challenge, you know, I'm, I've always been very competitive with everything that I've done and just wanted more of a challenge. And two, it's just, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, you, you just think you're more of a badass when you hunt with a bow versus a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I'm all for, you know, doing what I was, you know, doing what you like, doing whatever's legal, but it's funny to me. Even when I reach out to people, because I get Instagram uh, messages and Facebook messages from guys every single day, you know, with their tr- their their trophies or their um, pictures of what they shot that year, and it's it's funny to me that even when they kill something with a gun or a crossbow, they send it to me, and in the conversation that we have, because I always say, you know, hey congratulations awesome animal uh and then they they always followed up with yeah but i shot it with a crossbow or yeah but but i shot it with a gun almost like they're degrading themselves when Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think you should personally no but it's it's funny to me that even crossbow owners and gun owners and when you harvest a deer with a gun or a crossbow still think that that experience would have been better if they would have shot it with a bow. So I, I get a kick out of that. And, um, uh, I guess that just proves that, uh, being a bow hunter is kind of being a badass is badass. Yeah. It's, I feel like there's no other replication of that feeling and that reward of, you know, shooting an animal with a bow. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I always think to myself, Hey, this is the year I'm going to get into shotgun hunting. 
Now, this is the year I'm going to do it. And then I never do it. It just, it, <laughs> I never get interested enough to do it. But when I, you know, when I start taking my kids and, um, eventually, you know, someday I'm going to get older. Sure. So I'm probably going to, you know, j- jump into a crossbow at some point or jump into a, sure. uh, you know, a muzzle loader or something like that. And I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But right now, if like, I don't know about you, but when I envision an upcoming season, it's me in a tree stand with a bow. Oh, it's completely. I actually, this year, I didn't even get my shotgun out, and it's just something that I, if I don't have to, I'm, I never plan on getting it out again as far as deer hunting goes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever used to be, I don't know, in Ohio, can you party hunt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a big thing. Yeah. That's, that's what, it's it's fun with your buddies. I mean, it's, it's kind of just camaraderie, deer camp kind of feeling. But to me, it's not hunting. I, I, I'm sure people are going to give me crap about it, but you know, when you're pushing deer like cattle through a, you know, piece of timber and people are on their side waiting to shoot them, I mean, that's, I don't know. It just, it doesn't trip, trip my trigger like some people does, I guess. But, yeah. Yep. We can do that in Ohio for sure. Yeah. And that, that's... And where, where I grew up and where I'm from, you know, we have a lot of smaller, you know, um, woodlots. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to do, um, you know, where, where I'm from. Yeah. And that's the same thing. I got nothing against it. I mean, cause I used to do it. Um, I don't do it anymore, but I've seen it firsthand where, you know, a guy will blow a leg off of a deer and then mm-hmm. not even go and chase him down or, you know, yep. they'll run away that well, you know, tough shit for that deer. You know, like they don't, they don't fall. And I'm, I'm saying that's one bad apple in a bunch of people who are doing it right. But it, I just feel like when an animal is running at full speed, it's not like the ethical shot is just not there unless you can somehow stop them. But when there's people blasting across the ridge at a different deer, this other deer that you're trying to shoot is running full bore. And unless you practice like that, then maybe that's okay, but I just don't think that the 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 ethical um I don't know it's not as ethical. Does that make sense? Oh, I completely agree. I mean, you're like you said. I mean, you'll see deer, you know, the later that season, or you know, even on camera or something like that, where you know it's got a wound or something from getting shot and. Or, you know, I've seen guys shoot it and, well, I didn't go see it go down, so I'm not going to track it. Right. Or, you know, it's just, like you said, it's not everybody's like that, but it definitely gives hunting a bad, bad rap um, when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, well, is what it is. I got nothing against it. Um, yeah, I mean, people are going to continue to do it and, you know, good for them. If that's what I like to do, then, you know, I go for it. That's right. All right. So you, uh, you picked up a bow. Um, I want to talk about that first kill you made with that bow. Why don't you share that story? Yeah. Um, so it was 2014. Um, I bought the bow that summer. And, you know, I was shooting with it pretty, quite a bit, you know, but it wasn't It wasn't set for me. You know, the peep sight wasn't right. I don't even think the draw length was right. Um, but, you know, I was just gung-ho, ready to shoot a deer with a bow instead of a crossbow. So I was hunting a little corner section of a woods um, that my uncle owned. And I believe there was, 
don't know if there were beans or corn out in the field, but I was, I was tucked back off the field edge just, you know, 10 yards or so. It was during the rut. It was like, I don't know, November 2nd or something. And I was sitting there, and the next thing you know, I hear some crashing coming through the woods, and here comes two doe running right at my tree stand. And a little basket rack ate right behind him. And man, he looks like a 150-inch deer running right at me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So he uh, he actually stops kind of – this was a terrible shot, and I don't think I'd ever take it again, but he stops kind of almost full quartering right to me, you know, face front right to me. And I'm like, well, he's at 20 yards. I'm not going to get another shot. So I drew back, and I shot, and I missed. And the deer – kind of just spooked but he ran in like a big u and then he stopped at 30 yards and i knocked another arrow and luckily you know i put it on him and i hit him and i hit him kind of back long and watched him crash through the you know through the timber and i didn't see him go down so you know i backed out and ended up long story short ended up finding him a couple hours later and uh you know it was exciting it was so fun you know especially getting to shoot a deer twice you know with a bow i mean not something you do every day and uh you know i come up on him and i hate to be that person but i'm just like oh, i thought he was bigger you know it's kind of some ground shrinkage there but it was definitely a fun a fun excitement exciting experience you know shooting your first deer with a with a bow and it was a and it was a nice little eight pointer but you know definitely uh something that i look back on and and still it still gets me going just thinking about it yeah did like when you shot that with a bow, did you say to yourself, bye bye crossbow, like I'm never gonna use you oh, again? Yeah, there was no there was no going back to using a crossbow after that. I mean, you know, I just knew that the challenge wasn't there for me and, you know, I wanted the challenge and it's just, you know, bow hunting was it. So there was no there was no going back. Right. So did that even make you more obsessed about strategy and tactics like harvesting your first deer with a bow um did you now turn it to another level after that and say okay now i just got to be the best bow hunter i can be i'd like to say yeah but no not really i mean i still kept kind of going through the same routine that i did that summer and i still hunted the same way still reading magazines watching tv and you know, still expecting the same results and just, you know, up until this year, even I mean, last year too, you know, it just never happened. Right. I never shot a mature, you know, my goal antler wise, you know, I love, you know, everybody loves shooting big deer. Don't get me wrong, but my goal going into the last couple of seasons was just shoot a mature buck, you know, four years and older was be a mature buck in our area for sure. And that was what my goal was. And, um, you know, it took me, took me till this year really to, you know, to reach that, yeah. So you mentioned you made the change as far as strategy. You became mobile. You made the change um, as far as uh, a hinge release. Did yeah. Did you make any other gear changes or routine changes for your gear, like practicing more before the season started? Oh, I practiced every day. I mean, I shot probably 20 plus arrows every day and the thing is is it's funny that i shot at uh, a 60 yard target every day i mean that's what i was shooting at and you know i'm no levi morgan by any means but i was and i had a 
paper plate size group pretty much every day. And, you know, that really boosted my confidence level for those, you know, real short range shots. And uh, it definitely made a big difference. Right. Right. Now, the practice, the strategy, um, you know, I always have these grand, uh, these grand um, visions of what I'm going to do when the season gets here. And every year, like the first hunt or two, all that goes out the window. Did you have a vision at the beginning of this season as far as what you wanted to accomplish after you had made the decision to become more mobile, uh, practice more, um, change the change the place you were getting your information? Uh, yeah, I really just I wanted to be more conscious of my surroundings with you know going into the timber, kind of doing kind of scouting as I go, trying not, I, I didn't want to overhunt things because it was early in the season. Um, I, I wanted to play the wind the best that I could without bumping a bunch of deer, you know, around because the Creek bottom that I hunt next to my house, I mean, it holds, I'd say anywhere between 20 and 30 deer within a mile stretch. I mean, it, it holds some deer, um, pretty good deer just in this little Creek bottom. So it's tough to get in and out of, and I just knew, okay, you got to play the wind right. You can't go in there just all willy-nilly, um, you know, without the wind in your favor. And um, so that was my biggest thing was just wind and just not overpressuring areas. And I, it, it's, I stuck to it. I, you know, I love hunting, and I love it, sitting in a stand as much as I can. But I, if the wind wasn't right, I wasn't going to go out. Yeah. So with that said, then, uh, it sounds like you were, you knew what you needed to do, uh, and you kind of, I guess, observed what the deer were doing in past seasons and pro and sounds like you were calculating what you needed to do more. Oh, totally. I, you know, I didn't run cameras during the season. Um, one, because I just felt like I was getting so obsessed with, you know, the big deer I'd see in the middle of the night. And then it just took the fun out of it for me as far as that goes. But I, I, I could observe these deer from my house. You know, I could observe a lot of their patterns, you know, out into the crop fields from behind my house. Cause I kind of live in the middle of a woods and then I have a big field behind my house and I could, I could pay attention to them coming out where they came out at from the timber, you know, in the evenings, kind of watching their feed, their feeding patterns. And so I kind of knew where the deer were going to be. So that was kind of my scouting, um, you know, how I scouted preseason. It was just kind of watching the deer from my backyard, basically, and watching them come out to the bean field, um, you know, where they were coming out from. And I knew from the previous turkey season, you know, that where there was, you know, bigger bedding areas and it all kind of lined up to how I hunted it this year. And uh, that's kind of how I got, uh, how I shot my buck. Gotcha. So you, you put on the patient's pants and you just kind of waited for the right times and the right winds. Um, did you yes. pay, Did you pay more attention to your access in and out of those small pieces? Uh, so the, the piece that I hunted that I shot my buck this year, I, I want to say yes and no. So yes is because the week prior to me shooting my buck, I went in, I had the wind, 
Um, I had the perfect wind um, for the side of the creek bottom I was going to. I had the wind blowing out into the field and not into the creek bottom, and I was hunting over a rub line. Unfortunately, I just saw a, a doe on a farm that morning or that evening, um, so I didn't didn't shoot anything. But the next week is when I went in, and um, this kind of transitions into how I shot that deer. I don't know if you want me to go into that. Yeah, go or, for it. Um, so it was Saturday. It was super windy. We had kind of a cold front come through. We had, I'd say, 15 to 20 mile per hour winds pretty much all day. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go into the creek bottom right next to my house and just kind of scout my way back till I find some. Uh, I had the wind kind of blowing up through the creek out into this empty field. And I'm like, okay, I have a good wind. Um, I'm just going to scout my way down through this creek and, um, you know, set up on the hot side. So I had my climber on my back with my backpack and my bow and I was, you know, slowly kind of scouting my way through this creek bottom and I, you know, within a hundred yards, I start bumping does. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm like, well, this strategy may backfire. So I ended up scratching that idea and I went up to the field edge and there was kind of a, like a five acre, um, hard, hard timber kind of oaks and hickories flat kind of coming off of this um this creek bottom and i knew from previous uh, the previous turkey season that i saw some rubs and stuff in there i'm like you know what i bet you the bucks are going to come stage up in here before they head out to the big egg field so i ended up working the edge of this and of course again i bumped probably another five or six does off the edge of this this hardwoods i'm like man this is I'm just ruining this whole spot, but I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm going to go in, you know, I got the wind at least to my favor. So I finally get to an opening. I, I head into the timber, um, this little chunk of timber off the Creek. And, um, I started seeing rubs and I saw another rub and then I saw another rub. And I mean, they were pretty good sized trees, you know, my calf, or at least size of my calf or so. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to find where this kind of, starts and just set up downwind of it so that's where i did uh, i ended up sitting kind of in the corner inside the timber in the corner of where the kind of the creek line and the this <clears throat> chunk of timber kind of met and i set up you know probably 30 40 yards inside the timber um, downwind of this rub line and uh i think like an hour and a half I kind of probably went by and I didn't see her. I didn't see any deer. And I'm like, man, I probably just blew this whole section up. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just going to sit here until dark. And I think shooting light ended at like 7.30 that, that day. And I think it was like 7 o'clock. Um, I hear a grunt come up the hill. And here comes this 10-pointer, probably a 3-year-old. I'm probably 120, 130. And to me, that would have been the biggest buck that I've shot. So, like, I'm watching him, watching him. He's coming right, kind of right toward me on a parallel line. And he gets like 15 yards. And I'm like, I have my bow in my hand. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm, he's young. I'm going to let him walk. So I let him walk. He actually goes downwind to me. And for whatever reason, he didn't blow. He didn't run away. And um, so I'm kind of paying attention to him. And next thing you know, to my right, kind of in that corner, like that I was talking about, all I see is I start hearing a, a buck rub a tree. And next thing you know, I just see white tines. I'm like, whoa, that ain't the same deer. 
and um, it's getting darker. It's probably seven ten or so, and um, so I'm watching this buck, and I'm like, all right, like I really couldn't get a good look at him other than I just saw, you know, a good looking rack, and I'm just like, all right, well he's a shooter. I'm not gonna pass him up. So I get my bow down off the hanger, and I thought he was going to walk right in front of me at like a 10-yard just chip shot. I wasn't going to stand up or anything. Well, of course, you know, big deer don't do not do what you think they're going to do. And he ends up turning to my right. So I, I have to stand up at this point to get a shot. So I go to stand up, and I'm like I said, I'm in my climber, and the platform of my seat falls. Oh. Oh. My heart just sunk. I'm like, make a clank, clanky noise. Yeah. Okay. It hit the hit the platform I was standing on, and and I'm just like, uh, I just stood there, just dead still. And it was windy though. That's what saved me. He was behind like a honeysuckle bush, and making a rub. And he just stopped, looked around for probably twenty, thirty seconds, and then just kept rubbing the tree. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I don't know. This was, there's some luck involved in this one, I'm telling you. And so he finished making that rub and then starts working his way to my right. And at that point, I ranged some trees earlier in the day, and I knew he was right around the 20-yard mark. So I, I had an opening. I bleeded at him. I stopped him, and I held my 20-yard pin. You know, just He was kind of quartering to me, and I just aimed for that front shoulder, and I just held my 20-yard pin just a little bit low and let it rip. And I, I had that Luminoc, and I saw it. I saw it hit him, but I, it was dark. I mean, I only had like 10 minutes left of shooting light, so I'm like, well, I don't really know where I hit him. I thought it, had, it sounded like a good shot, and you know, I was so pumped. And I called my wife, and I'm like, just shot a stud. Don't know what he was, and I'm just up there, just shaking like a leaf. You know, just that. That that adrenaline rush that no drug can ever replace, no other feeling, in my opinion, can replace. Yeah. And finally got down out of my climber. And it's dark at this point. And I kind of just go to impact, and I saw some blood. I'm like, oh, good. I found some blood. And I'm like, all right. So I backed out, went up to the house, hung out with my wife for about two hours. I said I wanted to give him some time because I wasn't sure, you know, where I hit him at. And I called a buddy of mine. He came over, and we tracked him out into the – it was a, a wheat field um, right. that was planted that that fall, so it was up, you know, a couple inches. And he ran out into that, and I'm talking specks of blood. And he ended up running out into that wheat field and making a big U-turn to back to the creek bottom. And I mean, we were finding specks of blood, like kind of almost on our hands and knees, trying to find blood. And next thing you know, we we kind of just followed his foot tracks because it was a little muddy, and we found where he went into the timber. And once he got into the timber, it just started pouring blood. And he ended up dying down into the creek bottom, like on a like a sandbar in the creek bottom. And, man, I tell you what, that, that feeling of walking up on him, I thought for sure. I, I was nervous because of all the blood that we didn't find in a wheat field. And I was just, you know, you never know unless you see him fall down. You're just always second-guessing yourself. But I'll tell you, that feeling of walking up on him, Man, that's that's the best. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a little luck with a little skill because kind of going back to your setup, 
it almost sounds like you were in a natural funnel, right? You said the crick kind of comes up to an inside corner of where a field meets a timber. Yep, and it was an oak flat. So, I mean, they were in there definitely eating acorns for sure. Right. So they they didn't want to they don't want to go out into the wide open field right away. So mm-hmm. they stay in the timber, but they're staying in between the corner and the the crick. Dude, I have a I have a spot like that um on the farm that I hunt, my main farm mm-hmm. that I hunt, and it is a money morning rut spot. Uh they're coming in oh, between yeah. two chunks of timber and uh, dude, that's so cool. Uh, biggest buck, right? How, how old do you think he was? Oh, you know, I was, it's funny because I was, I had that camera running next to my house. Um, I just kind of put some corn out after the season last year, kind of just getting some inventory on what's around. And I think he was four because I had a picture of him last year. It wasn't a good picture, but it looked exactly like kind of his rack, how it curved. And he was an eight-pointer, and I think he was three last year. So I'm going to say he's four. But four. He, his body, it was just a tank. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see in the picture, essentially. I mean, he just had a huge belly. Yeah. Big, uh, definitely a big deer. He's got that October coat. He's got the October oh, yeah. haven't lost the weight from running like a maniac uh, body. And, uh, dude, congratulations on your, your biggest buck to date. Now, it's 2020 now. And I I would uh, be doing myself and you a disservice if I didn't ask you, what was your favorite part? doesn't have to be deer hunting related if you don't want it to be. What was the best part of your 2019 year? Um, well, deer hunting is always fun, um, but my wife does triathlons, and she actually did a half Ironman in uh, Traverse City in August. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so watching her finish uh, was a very proud moment, and um, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, so you're, uh, <laughs> while your wife is out there busting her ass, were you, like, drinking beer and eating donuts and, and <laughs> like, oh, feeling oh, like yeah. a pile of crap oh, yeah. while she's out there just, like, in yeah. this awesome, awesome physical shape? Yeah, I was drinking beer with her, with my father-in-law, and waiting for her to come to the next transition <laughs> and just hang out. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so now 2020, right? This is this is going to be like one of the first couple episodes that launches in 2020. What is like? What are you really looking forward to in 2020? Um. You know, kind of tweaking my setup. I would like to get, you know, um, you know, I had my preset stands that I like in during the rut, but I kind of want to get um, kind of a hang and hunt style um, setup with some sticks and a hang on. That's you know nice that I'm going to take around and you know mobile hunt with. That's kind of my number one plan as far as gear goes. Um, and then I did buy arrow fletching. Uh, jig and i'm gonna kind of start experimenting with different arrows and you know how it flies with my bow and um just kind of fine-tuning my setup even more kind of getting into that nerd geek mode with uh gear and you know really seeing what works best and um that's kind of what i'm excited about i was just kind of tweaking that kind of thing and and then just expanding on my mobile hunting and you know awesome fingers crossed hopefully it happens again next year so are you thinking about going outside at all of Ohio to hunt? 
That's funny you say that. I actually, um, after I tagged my buck this year, it was early October, and I'm like, man, I got to hunt the rut. So I <clears throat> I bought an Indiana tag because it's only about 45 minutes from my house, uh, the state line. Bought a license and tag, and I went to a piece of public over there um, called Pigeon River, which is up by um, LaGrange. And I'll tell you what, I've never had <laughs> – uh, I've hunted – public land during shotgun week in Ohio and there was probably just as many people on that piece of public bow hunting as there was during <laughs> shotgun week. I'm like, this is insane. I couldn't get away from people. Like every place on, on X that I was looking to find like a big pinch point, there was like five street stands already set up there. <laughs> and so I did about a week's worth of hunting and, you know, doing some scouting and um, I basically have to go kind of, mid-morning i would scout kind of throughout the day and then i would try to find a place to set up that evening so i did that for about a week and then i just i just got tired of running into people so i just said, called it quits my plan for uh, indiana next year is i'm kind of i'm just gonna write some letters um so this might be give some people some good ideas if they want to get some access is um i just read an article earlier the other day about um you know, the, the, it's kind of intimidating sometimes when people go knock on doors asking permission because they just feel either they got to say no or they got to say yes right away and they don't have time to think about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to draft up a letter kind of explaining who I am. You know, I'm ethical hunter. You know, I'm only going to bow hunt and um, put a permission slip with a picture of myself in there and a phone number and say, you know, ask them for permission and hoping, you know, if you have any questions or want to meet me, please feel free to call me um, and kind of ask permission that way. That way they have some time to think about it. And that's kind of how I'm going to go about getting permission in Indiana next year. Hmm. That's very interesting. I would love to hear how that pays off for you because I don't know, you know, I've, I've done the knock on people's doors i've even said mm-hmm. to them you know hey i would i'll sign a i'll sign a letter that says i'm you know waiving all my liability if you know if my dumbass falls out of a tree i can't sue you um i've you know you know written out permission slips basically myself that where i landowner gives dan johnson permission to hunt this property and then i carry it around with me i've done that before but i've never sent them a sent them anything in advance i've always kind of been on the fly on the initial Mm -hmm. you know the initial contact with the landowner so i once you do that i want to get you back on the episode or the the uh, the podcast this later this summer and talk about how all that's working out for you yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to. Uh, I actually start already wrote up my rough draft of that, and I'm kind of waiting until the season kind of fizzles out, and you know everybody quits knocking on doors asking for permission, and kind of let it settle down, and you know, kind of late spring or you know early spring send those letters out, and you know, wait for return phone calls or return letters. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well. Good luck on that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you land one of those spots that nobody ever gets to hunt. You know, yeah, you, you, you land one of those dream pockets that's just loaded with mature bucks, and you kill an Indiana state record. That would be sweet. That's every bow hunter's dream, I guess. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and BS with us for a little bit. Um, congratulations on your beautiful, uh, you know, your beautiful buck from this year. I'll make sure that I post that on Instagram for everybody to see. And uh, good luck in 2020, man. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, like always, I love hearing your podcast, so I'll be listening for more content to come. Huge shout out to Billy. Thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and chat. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. Huge shout out to all the partners of these podcasts that I put out every single week. We got Vortex, Prime, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Vortex. Said those said those twice. Anyway, great companies. Please go out and support these companies because they support me. And when they support me, that means they're paying my bills and I can keep doing this. Uh, so spread the word that the Nine Finger Chronicles, I can't even say it, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast is a badass podcast. You're going to learn a lot of information about deer hunting. You're going to hear some badass stories. You're going to get to basically listen to two or three or however many people talk about deer hunting. <laughs> so there's that. You know, it's 2020. I think I need to change the message just a little bit here. Uh, everybody knows by now, hopefully, that you should not go hunting in a tree stand without a safety harness, right? It's just common sense at this point. So I got I got to think of something, right? And it's going to be conservation related. So I'm not going to have a, I guess, a tagline at the end like I always do, but I'm going to think of one when it comes to conservation efforts and giving back and all the good things that go along with that. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, we're just going to end it. So have a good day.